Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Dying Alive's back. The Penguins, unfortunately, are not. We're joined this week by another return guest, and we're going to talk about the Penguins' exit, the Leafs' exit, and, of course, the disaster that is Stanley Cup playoffs officiating. This is the Dying Alive Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dying Alive podcast. I am Patrick Damp. Joined this week in his triumphant return to the podcast, the new dad himself from the Athletic Pittsburgh, Jesse Marshall. Jesse, it's so good to have you back, man. Feels good. It's like riding a bike, you know? <laughs> Keep the training wheels on and make it nice and easy. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, you don't have a lot of like actual hockey to discuss and i hope people aren't thinking that we're going to get into like some kind of like in-depth moratorium on the penguins because it's really like we're going to talk about how tristan jari was bad and then we'll probably just move on and talk to rachel about other things that are way more interesting than that well now that jesse's spoiled the surprise mike darnay is here as always <laughs> from pensburg and our repeat guest surprisingly it is not sean gentilly it is the one and only Rachel Dory. Rachel, we are so happy to have you back. It's been way too long. I am happy to be back and honored that I get to come back at the same time as Jesse. It's like Although when you from... have this, this is how I paint this for you, Rachel. Like we're the grinders, right? Like we're the we're we're the Pierre Maguire darlings. He loves us. <laughs> oh my god. Well, and you just elevate analytics. You elevate our game. Yeah, like like we we give ten cross checks into the boards and he loves it and then you come in and raise the bar. sick dangle like you know cutting through five players and he's like oh you, well that's fine but look what these other guys are that. doing you can't um, measure so, that so so just <laughs> quick quick question first before we carry on do you have dad strength now yes good yes that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good you, it's, I'll it's tell like, you what I so don't is have it, is it is it like Mega Man you can turn it on and turn it off um no it just it's sort of omniscient. It okay. never it never goes away. When when you need it, you have it. You also have I think there's two things to this is there's three. And an insatiable desire to wear new balances. <laughs> 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 like you laugh, but like well, what do you I'll take a picture of me cutting the grass next, this weekend and you can take a look at those socks are pulled all the way up. Like the shoes got the nice little green tint to them. Do, do you just organize the garage on a whim? I don't spend a lot of time in the garage. Um you're, you do enter into this foray, which becomes like a never-ending cycle of laundry and, and dishes. Because it's like there's constantly bottles that need washed and sanitized, and then the laundry is just never-ending. 
you know, because she's shitting or puking or something three, four times a day. Like, there's no, <laughs> like, you're getting, you know what I mean? Like, there's no escaping it. You could change her and it could last for eight minutes. You know what I mean? Then you're into another a, outfit altogether. It's a, it's a blessed life. Yeah. So that's the second. So wait, what was, there's three things I was going to tell you. The first one was about the new balances in the lawn. Uh, the second one is my reflexes are heightened. I feel like I have better, re- like I could grab things quicker if like something's falling or like I feel like I could get places quicker. And then the third one is I just do feel generally like more strong. You know, I feel like I've grown maybe an inch or two as well. He's playing next to Chara and then all of a sudden everyone's an inch or two taller. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's been a learning experience in many ways. Um, I get, the, I, you know, I said this before and I, I told Rachel this, I, I get the sense that I have like a small, I think she's right-handed. I don't know that for sure yet. It's way too early to make a determination like that. I'm make her right-handed. That. Yeah, yeah, right. And then I'm getting like elusive winger vibes. Like she's kind of like um, Gensley in the sense that like she's in and out. You know what I mean? She darts. She's like, she get into open space real quick. Well, um, well, much like Jake, Jake Gensel, we are not going to trade her. She's staying for the long haul. She probably lifts as much. <laughs> I was, was going to say, based on his... <laughs> Is she more or less effective than Mitchell Marner in the playoffs? Ooh. She's way less sensitive. <laughs> wow. I mean, I demoted wow. her off the top unit and didn't even bat an eye. She's like, we got to work harder. Oh, I didn't it. complain? <laughs> wow. Um, I do want to say, though, I, I just – can we lead off the show? Can I go off the beat and – can we go off the beat? Or are you okay if I just, we just steer this thing right into a cliff right out of the gate? Jesse, you're back, and this is what we missed. We needed this. Well, I want to get. I want to solicit the third party opinion of Rachel Dory, who you know, you know, is not necessarily a Pittsburgh person, right? Like she, Rachel sits on the outside. She's not, you know, she's not a part of the um, the chaos that's been going on. Rachel, what, what, what rank Mike Sullivan for me? Where is he in your pantheon of NHL coaches? Active NHL Why? coaches. I think he's a top 10 coach in the league. Um, like I, every time I watch a, a Penguins game, I always come away thinking like he makes good adjustments on the fly. He stays patient when you need to stay patient, but he makes adjustments when you need to make adjustments. And he seems to get outdone or undone. Sorry is the word I'm looking for there by uh, of late goaltending. Um, and at other points, just like, ridiculous boneheaded errors but for me like i'm always of the mindset that if you're gonna fire a coach you better have somebody better that you're bringing in and right now like i'm not really sure that there is a better coach available because i i do think very highly of, of mike sullivan okay so, thank you so two questions so, no, you so two questions i have do, you, do yeah. you think that the fact that do you think it's a perception because i've seen people say this that barry trotz has out coached Mike Sullivan. That's my first question. I think that you would be hard pressed to find a coach that Barry Trotz hasn't out coached. Honestly, I agree. I, agree. I think Barry, Barry Trotz um, is the perfect coach specifically for the Islanders because he's very good at um, getting players to buy into a system. And he did coach in Nashville, which is like notoriously was defense only them in Minnesota for like years and years. So it fits perfectly with the Islanders. So it's kind of like a match made in heaven there. Um, so what I would say is you'd be hard pressed to find a coach that out coaches Islanders, Barry Trotz. And my second question, do you think if Jim Rutherford was still the GM, he would fire Mike Sullivan right now? 
perhaps. I, I think he would. I, I think, think it'd that, be I like it's that, a fifty-fifty coin yeah, flip. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's the move he would make if he was still here. I also yeah. think you can say though to a point that really Barry Trotz only ever actually outcoached truly Mike Sullivan in 2019 in that sweep because they re- like he really just did not have an answer for that. This year they made the adjustments necessary to counter what the Islanders do, and Tristan Jari just was not up to par. Pat, I have oh, to I, stop I, you right I, there. I, I have to stop I, you right there because you have said, and you, you said it beautifully, what is to me the crux of the situation. And the crux of the situation is similar results do not beget similar processes. Okay? Like what happened in Can 2000? we just like tattoo that on my forehead? <laughs> we can probably pick, a, probably pick a different place. I don't think Mama Dory is going to be super excited about Rachel coming home with. I don't even remember what the hell the goddamn phrase was now. I already forgot it. It's not, not going to be excited and, about it. And listen, the last thing this podcast needs is Karen mad at us. Nah. No, we do not. We, we, we do not want that. But I, want I honestly Karen like mad at us. <laughs> Leafs Nation really needs to hear that sentence. So we're just I'm just going to clip that after this podcast comes well, out. Very and we'll be posting that. Hey, They're uh, almost identical hey, situations. Hey, right. There's your there's your episode title. Yeah. We don't want Karen mad at us. <laughs> Or or forehead tattoos for that matter. Um, the reason I bring this up is because like what happened in 2019 was exactly what you said, Pat, like the, the chess pieces got played in Barry Trotz's favor. I wrote the article before the series started with a video from that series and how abysmally awful it was. And it was like that too patient of a breakout where all you really did. And this was, by the way, also copy and paste all this from Montreal last year. Literally, just copy, paste. You had a way too patient of a breakout that gave the opposition time to set up their defensive uh, behemoth on the back end. You weren't, you weren't urgent enough. You never penetrated the middle of the ice. You played the perimeter the entire time, and your power play sucked. Right? <laughs> That's the story. This year, the power play, okay, it wasn't great, right? But, like, eh, it was whatever. It wasn't the reason they lost the series. Look at a, look at a shot map of where their shots came from in this series. They were all yeah. over the slot. They were everywhere in the slot. I mean, I mean, I think back to Brian Russ's point blank chance in game six that uh, Sorokin robbed him on. I think of Freddie Gaudreau's tip in the slot that Sorokin saved when he wasn't even looking in that direction. <laughs> it just happened to yeah. hit him, right? Yeah. Like, you know, th- th- these issues did not persist. Their breakout was fast. They were getting up ice. The microdata supports this. The video supports this. The heat maps support this. Don't make yes. this more complicated than it is, right? No, no. And, like, and, and Jesse, so my, my thoughts are, so the 2019 against the Islanders, the 2020 series against the Canadians was equivalent of the Penguins banging their head against the wall repeatedly with no reason they kept doing it. Now, like you just said, the power play was bad, but should they have had more power plays, which I feel like we can well, hold on a minute to... though, because we're going to get to that. And Rachel has some unbelievable <laughs> information she captured from the Oilers series. And that's the nice thing about the officiating discussion that we're going to have today. I want to preface this now. This is an organic discussion as fans of hockey, because you, you cannot legitimately point at officiating and say, this is why the Penguins lost. We would be ludicrous. To yeah, no, yes. <laughs> Such as, I mean, no. What we want to talk about, um, well, hell, I'm not, what the hell, do you just want to do it now? We might as well just do it now. Yeah. We come I back would just like to we'll... also say the Penguins win that series if you 
replace Tristan Jari with Casey Mark Mark Andre Fleury. Hey, you don't even have to go to that oh. extent, Rachel. Oh. Rachel, you're taking it to an ext- First of all, I will not. I, we are not doing this on this podcast. You will not. I'm so sorry. This is. I have to put the kibosh on this. Second thing, you don't even need to go to that to that level. Like you could say, like, oh, yeah, but the Penguins would have won with Connor Hellebuck in. Yeah, of course they would have. It's Connor Hellebuck. Well, they would have won. I'd have taken Casey DeSmith, right? And I can't. Mm-hmm. I want to explain this because I was very vocal on Twitter about Max Legacy getting a start in the playoffs. But in good conscience, I cannot advocate for the coach to play a guy with 19 career starts and an 867 save percentage <laughs> in a must-win situation. Probably because not. if it doesn't work, because if it doesn't work. The rhetoric is, why the hell didn't he leave Tristan Jari in? Yeah, and, and I was kind of with you on that, too. Like, I, I I was irrational in the moment, as fans are during Game 6, about him not replacing Jari with, with Legacy. But then I th- like once the emotion cleared out and I really thought about it, it was more of a, well, there, it's, a, it's essentially a lateral move. And it's even more of a coin flip because basically you're going from Maybe Tristan Jari figures it out to hopefully this unproven guy can surprise us, which is just two sides of the same coin. So while it was nice to, you know, get all irrational and angry because they were losing a series they shouldn't have been losing because of goaltending, there was no good answer there. Jeff and I on Penn's blog were talking about this too. Somebody made a great point to us that if you start Legacy and he wins, you're now tied to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, like Ooh, yeah. he can give you one good performance, and that's all he's got. But now you yeah. got to go with him again, no matter what the circumstances. Yeah, so, no, so the, you don't have a decision anymore. The the argument I remember reading, and I don't know who said it, was there was no logical reason behind going to him in Game Six. But if you want to question the decision to not go to him, it would have been after allowing the fourth goal in Game Six. Agreed. There was yeah, I think that's that, that was that was the very brief window where if you were going to go to him. That was where you do it. And, and I want to be clear, like at that point, down two goals, uh, that team wasn't scoring again. Like it wasn't going to happen. That was the only, you know, the, really the end of game six was really the only point of the entire series that even had any semblance of, of, of a resemblance to 2019. And it was because up two goals with a chance to close out. Barry Trotsky. Gonna, lead. Exactly. No, we can do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just, I have to reiterate these things because the Penguins played 11 defensemen by Valentine's Day. 11. That seems like a lot. It's a lot. That's almost double what you need. Uh, they they suffered core critical injuries to their forward group all year long and won the division in a year where everybody picked them to finish fourth. I know that they did not win in the playoffs, but we have to acknowledge the reasons why. We have to look at the bigger picture here, and thankfully, from what we heard from Ron Hextall today, that's exactly what he's doing. Now, Rachel. Yes. I I, I want to get into the juicy stuff that you have on Connor McDavid and, and all the things one on the other. But I want to talk the discussion that we're having today is about NHL officiating, which every year becomes the central focus of the playoffs without between, fail. Between that and the Department of Player Endangerment, yes. It's <laughs> correct. Which, by the way, is run by players who were super good at endangerment. <laughs> exactly that is what and the acronym spells dope which is even funnier yeah pretty dope i yeah, by the way dope you know who my vote is 
Do you know who oh, my vote is for head of department player safety? Because it, sati- it satiates the NHL's need to have a goon in there. It satiates okay. my need to have somebody with player safety actually in mind. Dan Carcillo. Yes. He's, in da- he's angered way too many people and has ousted himself from too many inner circles. And by the way, he keeps saying we got we, he said he wants to come on the show. We have to get him on the show. I keep I have to make that happen. I talked to him about this last year, and we've never did it. So I got to get back and read. What the heck am I doing thing. on the show? Like, now, wow. we're gonna we should really come back because we would have a real complaint session with him. That would be great. Um, so, 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 all right, so so we're so we're gonna bump the airing of grievances to next week. So, but back to the point. So we talked about the we talked about the Islanders having this like super defensive system. Okay, Montreal beats Toronto playing a super defensive system. I don't know that I would super describe the Jets system as defensive, but they have Connor Hellebuck. So that supersedes any system they're playing. They could play no system. <laughs> that doesn't make a difference. But you, so all these teams win. Okay. Um, we'll get into some of the penalty information, but my theory, Rachel, mm-hmm. is we have really skilled players. We have young players that can do things with the puck that we've never seen before. Watch Sebastian Ajo sometime. It's unbelievable. He's very but, good. Very good. But we live in a world where shit hockey rules. And the reason shit hockey rules and the reason why the New York Islanders and the Montreal Canadiens are successful is because when you get to the postseason, these teams that play these scrappy, muddy, you know, put your waiters on kind of systems get the benefit of an environment facilitated by the officials that allows them, nay, encourages them to play that style of hockey. Yeah. Um, That's you that on my back. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's very frustrating um, because I think what we're seeing here is if you look at the NFL, like they specifically changed rules to protect quarterbacks and wide receivers because those guys were vulnerable and those guys were taking, they were stars and, and, and they're taking the brunt of, of the hits. And the NFL realized that if we want to market our game and, and, have interest in our game our stars need to be playing basketball did the same thing now i don't agree with how basketball approaches it because if like you so much as breathe in lebron's direction it's a foul so i don't like that i like a happy medium so in the nhl i mean it's very clear that officials are very good at following the mandate because like when in 0506 when we came back from the lockout and the NHL decided they were cracking down on obstruction, so hooking, holding, all that fun stuff. Like, there were penalties called by the dozen, and and they were very strict about it. And some of those officials, like, they were young at the time, and they, they were refing pretty recently. Um, so it's very clear they follow a mandate. And then based on, like, the leaked emails from Colin Campbell nearly a decade ago, it's very clear that the NHL league office wants this goon style clutching and grabbing nonsense in the playoffs and for me it's it's not even about protecting the stars the nhl would be a much better product if they actually called the rules in the rule book that they wrote so like i just i don't get it from that perspective it's it's very frustrating because like you can't tell me for a single second that next year when espn has the rights that they're going to be happy if McDavid, Matthews, and Crosby are not in the second round of the playoffs. Like, they're just not going to accept that. They're very much like they did with the NBA. I, I feel like they're going to go to the league and be like, you, you listen here. Like, we're paying you billions of dollars for your s- silly TV revenue, and we want the best players playing, and therefore you will call the penalties. 
And so I think that that's really the only way we're going to get anything done here is if the broadcasters say like, listen, this is bad for the game. Like, and it is bad for the game. I don't want to watch Yoel Armia in the playoffs. I want to watch McDavid. Which, and, and it's funny you mentioned the whole rights holder aspect is, I mean, normally when the Penguins are on locally, they're blacked out nationally. But in the, in the first round here, they were on both networks and I would watch the national games and going into commercial breaks and in and out of commercial breaks, all you saw was praising the Islanders for their tough grit in front of the net or whatever. And every time they highlighted those segments, it was a series of penalties that weren't called. Yeah. Like it's to me, I watched, I thought the Islanders pen series was one of the more entertaining ones of the first round. So I actually watched it pretty closely. Um, and that I know all three of you. So like naturally being able to converse and, and talk about the series that you guys are most interested in was, was of great interest to me as well. Um, but to me, like every time I seemed to like turn around and watch the TV, like Crosby's getting his head slammed into the ice or like Malkin has a stick in his pants and is being water skied upon or like Jeff Carter is just getting punched to the back of the head, skating up ice, or even like on the other side of things where it's like, we have net front scrums where like I'm seeing all manner of just absolute nonsense from both the Penguins and the Islanders. And it's like, you can't just pick a guy out of the pile. Like you got to call it. And if you don't call it, then we have what Ryan Reeves did the other night, which is almost murder someone on the ice. Like, and, and, and the, one of the biggest issues that I always take with this, and, and this is on a much smaller scale for me from when I was playing locally in Pittsburgh and then regionally in college is officiating there, if nothing else, would set a precedent. If there was an early scrum in front of the net, two guys were going on uh, on both sides just to set the message that we're not doing this shit tonight. And that never happens in the NHL. It always ends up as... Ah, uh, well, there's a scrum in the net this time. We're not taking anybody. Then all of a sudden, actually, we're going to take this one guy. Or maybe we'll take these two. And it, it, it always comes back to there's never a standard set for what is or what isn't legal or illegal in an NHL playoff game. And as both a consumer of hockey, I can't stand it. And I can only imagine how infuriating it is for players. Well, yeah, you saw. So the best example I can think of right off the top of my head was... Uh, Travis Dermott was skating out the back of his net to break the puck out. And Eric Stahl RKO'd him, like literally grabbed him by the front of the Jersey and slammed him down on his back. That's no penalty to note too, by the way, it was out of nowhere. All RKO's are out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> like it was ridiculous. And then like a five minutes later, Pierre Engvall like sticks his arm out and Cole Caulfield has to take an extra stride and it's a holding penalty. And Cole even Caulfield the Montreal not, yeah. bench, like they panned to the Montreal bench and even players on the bench were laughing. Cause they were like, wait a minute. What? Like, okay. So we can tackle a guy or Shea Weber can cross check a dude in the head and like that's totally fine but if you so much as put a puck over the glass go to jail do not pass go or collect $200 or any of that if you breathe on carry price goaltender interference right or vice versa even like there were penalties that should have been called against the least that were completely ridiculous like it's just all the way around 
they, the NHL and I, I've spoken to a few people at NHL headquarters about this and the overarching feeling is if they call it by the book, which is what they do in international hockey and the players seem to be able to adjust there. So I'm not really sure that I buy that excuse. Um, the overarching feeling is, well, if we call it like the rule book, call it tight, then that widens the gap between like the bottom six kind of fourth line players and the superstars. And my rebuttal to that is, yeah, that's the fucking point. If the, if, if you're better, then you should be able to be better. You should not. If, if I'm Connor McDavid and I am better than everybody else, you should not be able to tackle me in the neutral zone as I'm skating because you are not as good. If you can't be, if you can't stop me without taking a penalty, then get better. I don't know what to tell you, but this whole nonsense that we're asking McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, Crosby, like any of the young players that are coming up to just fight through it when there are literally rules in a document that everyone signed off on. Yeah. That should be called. Like, what are we doing here? So, they're so afraid. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is. I, I, I really believe that they're afraid of the cultural shift that would have to occur with calling it because that we, we and I know this because I lived through it in the lockout uh, back in the early 2000s. You know, the game came back and it was a different game. Like I always say, like, that is why I give a lot of credit to Craig Patrick for drafting Chris Letang. Because people don't realize that at that point, drafting a defenseman that was 5'8 was like a faux paw. Like the game was hook, hold, slash, wrestle in front of the net. And the bigger you were and the better your reputation was in the crease, the more money you got. Like that is what we coveted at that time in hockey. And then after that, it became, oh, wait, defensemen need to move the puck. They need to be good at breaking out of their own zone they need to be able to skate in the game changed and evolved but we put a cap on it all of a sudden those memos and the hooks and the holds and all the things that we said we're going to open the game up they stopped caring about them and it was only like 16 months later it wasn't that long like mostly really it was actually in season once they came back (laughs) like at the all-star game is when they probably quit but like you know if I was Barry Trotz and I Lamorello was a GM and he was organizing the roster that he's organized and I knew that this is the way the game was going to be played, I'd muck it up at the neutral zone too. Because my well, best chance well, to win a Stanley Cup. And a good to you know because it's a, we're we're doing a show about the Penguins. A good example of that to me, and I know he caught shit at the end of his career just because of the aging curve. But you know who was a great example of pre-lockout, post-lockout defenseman? Was Brooks Orpik. Yeah. Before before the lockout, he was that typical big dude who had no real discernible skill other than he, he was big. And then the lockout came, and they changed the mandate, and guess what? He decided to become a better skater, get better at moving the puck. He was still physical, but he picked and chose when to be physical. And when the Penguins had him from, God, like, 2006 through what was it 2015 he was fairly effective as a defensive defenseman because he adapted to the game and if a guy like him can adapt to the game most players nowadays who have more specialized training than ever before are going to be able to adapt well it's like one of those things where like when i was working in new jersey like legitimately a 
evaluating factor while I was there was, does he cross-check people in front of the net? And I went, whoa, 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 time out. You're telling me that you'd rather have a defenseman that commits penalties in front of the net than a guy that can move the puck effectively. And I'm shit you not. The response was, well, they don't call the penalties, so who cares? I'm like, we should not be at a point in hockey where GMs are building a team knowing that penalties are not going to be called. Like, that should not be a thing that's allowed. And so I I I look at it and I'm like, do any of the four of us sitting here right now, would you rather watch Tom Wilson play or Sidney Crosby play? Like, or Jake Gensel or any Malkin, like, would you rather watch, actually, we could just use the two people involved in the scenario. Would you rather watch Panarin play or Tom Wilson play? Yeah. Like. Well, and you know what blows my mind, just to go off on a quick tangent on that, is I, considering that LaViolette coaches the Caps now, I'm surprised that Wilson is still doing what he does. Because when LaViolette was with the Flyers, that was right as Hartnell was becoming that guy who did yeah. dirty things, did all this stuff. And LaViolette sat him down and was like, hey, when you're not being a shithead, you're a pretty good hockey player. Like, maybe do that. Like, and I'm surprised he hasn't had that conversation with Wilson because it's even more so now. Like, as much as I dislike the guy as a Penguins fan, when he's not being a dumbass, he's a pretty effective winger. Well, yeah, and, like, Um, the same goes for Kadri. Like, when he is not totally losing his mind in the playoffs, he is a fantastic hockey player. But it's like, could you keep your brain on the rails for 60 minutes every two days? Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What was the number that you had on infractions committed on Connor McDavid in that series? So, because the number was he drew zero penalties. 
right? He's actually drawn zero penalties in his past three playoff appearances, like seasons. Series. Plural. Yeah, series. He's drawn zero. zero. And you mean to tell me that three different teams effectively stopped Connor McDavid in the playoffs without committing a single infraction? I think not. Well, we've yet to see that happen in the regular season. You're, like nobody's yes. been able to successfully do it. I also would I would also like to point out that Tom Wilson has more drawn penalties in the past four seasons than Connor McDavid does. <laughs> What? I'm, I'm guessing most of which are probably for post-whistle bullshit when he started something and got away with it. Yeah, probably. But, like, the fact that McDavid and McKinnon and Crosby are not leading the league by a country mile when it comes to, like, drawn penalties is a joke. Like, that's why when McDavid elbowed or punched Kotkaniemi in the head this year, I was like, you know what? When these guys take the level of abuse that they do, they're go- and they- and it goes uncalled, like they're going to snap every once in a while. So I honestly don't really have a problem with it because if you just called actual penalties, we wouldn't even have to worry about Crosby or McDavid or McKinnon lashing out at anybody because they would be rightfully getting the calls that they draw. Well, so Rachel, what was it, it his, was it his rookie year? McDavid's rookie year that he broke his hand fighting. That was uh, juniors. That was junior. No, so his, his draft was, year, was juniors, he broke his right. hand, his rookie year, he got taken out. By Brandon Manning, and Brandon fractured Manning. his clavicle. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And but then Mark Giordano took him out. Yeah. But the, the, he had the same problem back in junior. Like they weren't yeah. making calls. Like he had to. I, I think he just went off the deep end. You know. Yeah, like people like like there are people on Twitter that are like, "Oh, the Oshawa Generals stopped Connor McDavid from winning uh, an a OHL championship. And I'm like, did you watch that series with your eyeballs and see that someone, <laughs> there was one rush, I kid you not, where he is going on a breakaway and you can see the defenseman have his, like a fistful of his, the back of his jersey in his hand and is pulling along and just no penalty. Like, <laughs> it was so obnoxious. <sighs> well, but, the final number, Jesse, I went oh, back yeah. and watched. Yes. 41. Ooh. And, now, and I'm talking like I included egregious penalties that like literally a child could have made the call. I included regular penalties that get called. And then I included even ticky tack penalties. But like if we want to talk about just the egregious penalties, um, I have it here. It was 22. 22 where he was like either kneed or tackled or held or water skied upon. Like we're talking <laughs> literally getting just abused. Most of which I assume there was a referee watching directly. Uh, yes, because he had the puck on most of the occasion. There was actually one. So I went back and I watched the shifts in isolation. There was one where he's skating back on the back check and just gets punched in the head. Like, no, I was thinking, like, I'm thinking to myself as we're having this conversation, like, how did Mario do it? You know, mm. like, how did he do it back then? Or and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, you're exactly right, Rachel. Like, it was just the team was so goddamn good. They had Paul Coffey, Ron Francis, Kevin Stevens. Like, you could kill him, and they tried to, and the Adam Graves was damn close. 
Um, I mean, that's what the range. I mean, literally, if you think about it, like that's what they did. The Rangers literally took him out of the series and still lost because the rest of the team was so good. Right, uh, the Mike you Milbury, have oh god, ex purveyor of most of the opinions, were um, disdaining here. You addressed. mean man who beat dude with shoe? Well, and then after that too, Rachel, lest we forget that he he dressed Lyndon Byers, uh, oh, and um, uh, uh, Chris Marquardt, and a bunch of other guys that had accumulated a total of 816 penalty minutes and three goals in the final two games against the Penguins. And surprise, they lost. So my favorite <laughs> part was like a couple years ago. Mike Milbury was opining about the Leafs and being like, well, if I were GM, I would do this. And immediately I went, okay, I'm going to need Kyle Dubas to do the exact opposite of whatever Mike Milbury just said. Like whatever Mike just said, I'm going to need you to do the exact opposite because that guy is him and Peter Shirelli, the worst general managers in national hockey league history. Hey, hey, hey! We're you know, forgetting. Badger Bob said, "This is one of the best. This is one of the best quotes, hockey quotes of all time." Badger Bob, because remember Mike Milbury called him the professor of goonism, right? Because <laughs> after this is after Alf Samuelson hit Cam Neely, right? By the way, I'll tell you a story. If you if you follow me on Twitter once or twice a year, I get on there and say that how Alf's hit on Cam Neely was clean. Well, yes. I asked Phil Bork what he thought about it. He told me it was dirty as hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, there goes my theory please, on that one. <laughs> please, don't let, please don't let that break your shtick, though. Um, no, it's great. But so, like, I'll, I can never get over the fact that this man went into the stands with his oh, skates his on yeah. and beat a guy with his shoe. shoe. Yeah. So he calls Badger Bob. He says, it turns out the professor of hockey is nothing more than a professor of goonism. Right. So Badger Bob shows up at the press conference the next day and uh, they said to him, what do you think about what do you think about Mike Milbury's comment? And Badger Bob says, well, it was confusing, but interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it was confusing, but interesting. And at the end, they're like, Badger, why are you wearing glasses? And he said, well, I figure if I'm going to be a professor, I might as well look the part. There aren't even lenses in these things. <laughs> like he just showed up to the press conference with frames on, specifically to what a guy. look apart from Mike Milbury. And listen, we're not. I understand that we want to give grief to Milbury and Peter Chiarelli, but and we will, lest we forget the actual worst general manager in the history of the National Hockey League. Pierre Maguire. It's Pierre Maguire. Yep, it's <laughs> Pierre Maguire. I won't get Did into you this. See what but, he said today. Yes, and I I tweeted the gif of Captain America sitting backwards on the chair and just went, so, you've retweeted a bad Pierre Maguire take. <laughs> we know what he's going to say, guys. I just, he, 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 I he to wants know. to get a deal with ESPN, and he wants to have, like, oh, I have more information than anybody, and nobody's falling for it. Okay, so I need to know. I, like, I, I need to know. I, I, I'm pulling up something for you real quick here, guys, by the way. This is an article that I have to leave for moments like this one. I know exactly what you're doing, Jesse. This is an article. This is an article from um, May 21st, 1994. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is from the Hartford Current. Yep. <laughs> it's the, the single greatest article. article I've ever yeah. read. Let's just go through because there may be people that are going to listen to this that don't know what this is. So. I mean, th- thank God this thing's archived. The title of the article is McGuire's Tenure, A Bad Situation. 
<laughs> right out of the gate. Great start. First sentence, in my opinion, is the one that should put Jeff Jacobs, who wrote this, God bless him wherever he is. We've had him on the show. This in the Hockey, in the Hall, of hockey Fame. Hall of Fame. I'm not kidding. Yeah. With, this is so beautifully written. With one brush of his newly recovered powers on Thursday, general manager Paul Holmgren did more to unify the Whalers than anybody in recent team history. He fired Pierre Maguire after six months. It was more than a great idea. It was justice. <laughs> it was justice! I'm going to continue because this hasn't even heated up yet. I love this article so much. In 15 years of covering the NHL, we had never seen a coach so universally disrespected and disliked within his own organization. McGuire fancied himself two parts Scotty Bowman and one part Bob Johnson. It turned out to be a superhuman leap of faith on his part. At 32, McGuire is the youngest coach in the NHL. He'd never been a head coach at any level, and it showed. He's book smart and X's and O's smart, but often not people smart. <laughs> Jesus! When a young this man is, is either, when a young man is either so headstrong, so emotional, so calculating, such a control freak, so full of ambition, and so full of himself, he will either rocket to the top or crash. Maybe McGuire will rebound. Maybe Quebec will hire him as head coach, or Bowman will make him an assistant in Detroit. It's difficult to believe McGuire who has one year and about $200,000 left on his contract, can remain with the Whalers in any official capacity. It's also quite evident McGuire's joint Bowman-Johnson modus operandi was in itself problematic. <laughs> it just goes, it goes on. Um, just yeah. incredible. Pat like, Verbeek, if in, in the article, Pat Verbeek called McGuire's firing the best thing that could ever happen to Hartford. Well, uh, and, he, and, he openly said that other teams mocked their coach. He said his own teammates had no respect for Maguire, and he said a number of players wouldn't have wanted to play in Hartford anymore uh, if he had stayed there. Yeah, and, and Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, but the article goes on to say about how he bragged about shutting down Mario Lemieux in a game where other Penguins scored like nine goals. <laughs> Once, when he was an assistant coach, Maguire bragged about his strategy to shut down Mario Lemieux. This was after a 7-3 loss and four goals by Kevin Stevens. There we go. Oh. Well, nevertheless, um, don't. But I would say Jesse on that on that narrative note, uh, him saying that the Oilers use analytics. Like, let's not let facts get in the way of a good narrative here. Like, as he well, shut and, down Mario and you, but no this. matter about losing seven three. And I remember this like it, like it was yesterday because I think this is at, this is honest to goodness one of the first visceral Penguin memories that I have that I actually can sit down and remember watching this take place in my house and my uh, uh, certain members of my family being incensed about it. Um, people forget that McGuire behind the bench called for a stick measurement on Yarmar Yager <laughs> and busted. He got him. He got him on it. And it was by such an, it was such a small iota of an amount. Yager goes to the box and serves the penalty. Comes out of the box, scores on the breakaway. Dead. No. <laughs> Afterwards, says that despite the fact that he had scored two game-winning goals in Stanley Cup championship games, he said that that goal was the biggest one of his life because, I quote, 
I wanted to humble that know-it-all. Oh my Legend. God, I love Yarmir Yager yep. so People much. forget that that happened and that he said I that. actually met Pierre the night I was hired in New Jersey because Pierre, this will not shock you at all, is very close with Ray Shiro. So much so that, so there is a box in New Jersey at the Prudential Center that is Lou Lamorello's box. And the only reason it hasn't been sold is because nobody in the suites department wants to make the phone call to Lou and be like, actually, we're rescinding your suite privileges. So the suite sits dark and, and like nothing happens except for when Lou is there now with the Islanders that like he's allowed to sit in, in his suite but when I met Pierre Maguire, I guess like New Jersey opened that suite and he was sitting in there and, and we were sitting and chatting during, it was like, it was devil's Blackhawks, And he was just like, Oh, like, I think you're going to love it here. Like Ray's such a great guy. Like he doesn't really do the analytics stuff, but what are you here for? And I was like, analytics. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately he was like, Oh, <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> so I was like, "What?" I just, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to opine on it all night, but like, the idea that you can't measure somebody's defensive impact is asinine. It's just or, or, asinine. or the idea that the Oilers are built upon analytics, but yeah, the like Carolina Hurricanes and Colorado Avalanche are not. Signing Wayne Simmons is just the most analytically savvy move I have ever seen in my entire life exactly and again like these people talk out of both sides in their mouth and somebody pointed out on twitter today that earlier in the year um once the, the leafs had made all these anti-analytics moves he lauded them for it and said that he, he did thought that they'd acquired the grit and character that it was going to be necessary to win the stanley cup so like now this is flown in his own face and here he is still parroting the same thing and it's a total discounting by the way everyone not just rachel of of, of what carolina does analytically and and the, the and the, what they've built out there. I mean, give me a break. Like you know? Eric Tolsky is they, literally they, their AGM. And and, and it's worth, people may be listening to this and saying, I don't know who Eric Tolsky is. Most of learn well a yes, but b most of the shit that we talk about, he wrote. Like, yeah, he came up with this stuff. <laughs> like his expected goal work, like all of this stuff opened the door for other people to come in and build off it, for Manny to come in and do what he did, for the twins to come in and do what they did publicly. Like for that me. was that's the for you, that's the groundwork. I mean that he laid the groundwork. He's he's the person that figured out forwards have absolutely no impact on save percentage from from, from my own team perspective. Yeah, that was and, him. And, and Jesse I'll even go a step further that um as somebody who is speaking of myself is not very smart. Eric wrote in a way that was easy for me to understand. Agree a hundred percent. And that's like the approach I try and take is like, I want to be able to turn whether it's tactics or analytics or just like very nuanced minutia into English so that like it's accessible so that people can learn. And I like to like one of the best compliments I ever, ever received was the fact that I am able to communicate analytics to English very effectively. And, and so like, that was something that I always trying to, I'm always trying to be cognizant of. Like if I were to hand this to my sister who literally hates hockey, would she at least be able to understand it? Right. And that's kind of like how I approach things. And 
I've asked Tulski to read my work and, and he's given me great feedback. He's been a huge help. But like, as I sit here and I write paper, like the paper right now on how to quantify hockey sets, like I'm trying to make it so that the public version of it is easier to understand because I want it to be accessible and I want people to be able to understand that when someone comes out and says, well, you can't quantify that. And it's just too lazy to do it. Well, that's, that's kind of the approach I, I, I like to take. And I take a lot of that from uh, Eric Tulski, Arik Parnas, uh, Dawson Springs, I think is, is very good at, at stuff like that. And I don't think it's a coincidence that all three of those men are employed. Like, at, at teams that are extremely successful. Like there's a reason that they're successful and it's one because the asset management and two, I guarantee you, they actually, the teams like the GMs, whether it's Sackick or Don Waddell, like they actually listen to these guys. It's not just like a token hire where it's like, please go sit in your box over there and don't speak. Like I guarantee you Telski has huge influence on decisions there. And so does Arik and even Chris McFarland, who's the AGM there, like has been on record saying he's a huge fan of using information. Julian Brisebois said the same thing after Tampa won the cup. And so I think to say that you're not using it, it's kind of like I say on, on staff and graph it's analytics are salad, right? Building a team is, is salad. If you only eat lettuce, like that's going to be a shitty salad. If you drink the dressing, people are going to think you're nuts. But if you have the right mix of everything, then you've probably got a Stanley Cup champion or, or something close to it. There's also bad salads. You know, like we talk about the Manny salad. Like you don't want blueberries. And you don't know that. Nobody wants Manny salad. <laughs> you got to be careful. You don't want to. Yeah. Well, this is good to get this out. I feel better. Nothing's going to change. It will one day. It will one day. I do believe that. I do what believe that. What does Pittsburgh that. do? I have a question. What does Pittsburgh do when, like, Malkin, Crosby, Latang are no longer there? Like, are they prepared to, like, while they have those three, we're going full send to get as many cups as possible because we know we're going to be shit for like a decade after they're gone. Is that kind of the approach that they're taking? Yeah. Cause like, I feel like that's the approach I would take. Ron Hextall oh. said today that he was uh, ready to sacrifice features to make it. Happen. Okay. So yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you have a generational talent, like to not be all in, which is like unfathomable to think given they already have three cups. Like they've shown they can win. They've shown they can get it done. Like you want to have, like, I think there's probably at least one more cup or at least one more cup final out of out of that group. The, if they can find a capable goaltender. You got to go out and bring is, John Gibson back to pitch. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about that with someone today, but I was going to say the other solution is to rig another lottery. Yeah, well, that didn't work tonight. You know, I was really disappointed as well. Congratulations. So to you want next receivers. year? Uh, I was really hoping placeholder team would win again this year. I was hoping the Arizona Coyotes would win because for obvious LOLOL reasons um, that the NHL didn't think of just, you know, removing them from the lottery um, is just like totally asinine to me. But I I would, I mean, this year there's no like clear cut number one. I don't think any of them should be playing right off the bat. Like I would send them all back for another development year. There's no need to rush these players. They all have warts. But if you can get the first or second overall pick in 2022 or 2023, you are cooking with not even gasoline, with like dynamite. Because like Shane Wright, Connor Bedard, Matvey Mitchkov, like those guys were talking absolute superstars in this league. 
Like Connor Bedard is 15 years old and just lit the U18s on fire. Like that's unheard of. Yeah, it's and uh, so if you're gonna be bad, that's way, like, you want to be bad. Really gross. Really gross. Oh, yeah. He was the highest scoring player in the WHL this season as a 15 year old. I don't. That know is preposterous. That I've ever seen a human being that is that age built like that. And his like mindset is absurd too. Like, I don't think he's going to be better than McDavid. Like, I think that's a very high bar. I would argue um, this, Rachel. He's not faster than McDavid. No. The straight line speeds nowhere near there, but I think he can Nobody cut is. an edge better than McDavid can. Uh, I see. I'm not sold on that yet. I, I'd Let's like see. to see, I'd like to see it a little bit uh, uh, more. Stern, but fair. Stern, but fair. Yeah, I, I mean, let's. I mean, he's 15. Like, there's a lot of room for growth there. And in the same way that somehow Connor McDavid's going to come back better next season, which should alarm the entire league. Um, but yeah, like for me, if if I'm if I'm looking at a team, the uh, the only picks that are totally untouchable for me would be the 2022 first, the 2023 first, because you do not want to get into a position where you're missing out on one of those three players. Because wow, almighty, like those are franchise altering players. There's not really any franchise altering players in this draft. Um, but like the next two years, there are franchise altering players. Like we're talking a McKinnon type, a Matthews type, um, like that level. I'm not saying like McDavid, but I think both Bedard and Wright will be better than Eichel for sure. Um, and I think Mitch will be kind of where Austin Matthews is in terms of ability to score. So, um, you definitely don't want to be missing out on those players. And I highly doubt Pittsburgh's going to be even remotely close to that conversation. But, uh, yeah, I would be going all in once while you still have those three. And even if you only have Crosby Malkin, like to me, as long as you have Crosby, you owe it to him to go all in based on what he's given your franchise. That's a good way to end with a bit of hope. Yeah. All Rachel, right. you got anything that uh, you want to plug for our listeners before we go? Um, not a whole lot because I'm I like basically deleted my entire Twitter. But you can find me um, on Twitter at Rachel Dory, or better yet, where I do most of the analysis now, um, the Staff and Graph podcast, myself and Mikey Stevens, um, or writing every two weeks for Elite Prospects. That's where you can find me. Um, otherwise. These are three of my favorite hockey people, so keep listening to this podcast. <laughs> and uh, before we go, I do want to ask, how much fun is it doing a podcast with the Joker? It's kind of scary, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't do clowns, like, at all. Um, so I, I don't him, really either, Rachel. I, I just... Yeah. Not I said, me. listen, if you're going to dress up as the Joker, I get to talk about either TFC or Bayern for every podcast that you do that. And the best was his response was, if I talk about Bayern, well, at least we'll have a good team to talk about then. Because <laughs> Bayern never has let me down ever in terms of like their play. Although that Champions League final in Munich, I was very angry about. Um, but like they somehow are always on the rails. They're always doing the right things like. They were a big, like, they're a massive club, and they came out and were like, here is the list of things we're going to do to combat racism with our brand. And everyone went, whoa, like, that was comprehensive. 
Um, and so like they just continued to impress me with how they do things. And frankly, they're the only team that hasn't really disappointed me. So also have a manager. I don't, yes. know what it, I don't know what it is specifically that's appealing to me about this. But I Which love manager good, I love, are you talking about? I love about? a good hyphenated first name. Hans Dieter. Hans Dieter. But he is now the head coach of the German national team starting at the end of the Euro because Bayern has hired a 33-year-old. Hans Dieter is not the, not the manager of Bayern anymore? Okay, so quickly, before I bore you with this, um, essentially they hired a... Nagelsmann. Yes, it's Nagelsmann who's the new one. But they hired a technical director, which is the equivalent of a hockey like general manager. And this individual uh, is not a German, which is a sin already. Um, but B, he in one season managed to piss off the second most successful coach in franchise history, which was Hansi Flick. He pissed off Thomas Muller, Jerome Boateng, David Alaba. Like, he literally pissed off all of the veterans, including Manuel Neuer. And, like, that's difficult to do. And he pissed off Flick so much so that Flick said, I'm resigning, actually, after I just won eight trophies in a calendar year um, during a pandemic, no less. And so they lost. And then <laughs> today their CEO resigned. So mm. I love the technical director a lot and I don't have any ill feelings to him whatsoever and definitely will be sending him flowers to his house because he hasn't pissed me off at all. I'm just saying, if I ever have another child and baby Violet gets a brother, I'm considering Hans Dieter as a first name. <laughs> um, I don't have anything. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> There's a bunch of, you know what? I'll send you some German names that are a little bit easier to pronounce. They have to be high. Go with like, okay, well, you can go with Carl Heinz. You can it's go too, with. To Ketchupy. <laughs> <laughs> you can go with uh, Wolfgang Amadeus. Too, too too classical. Okay, that's fair enough. What about Wolfgang uh, Dieter? Uh, yeah, you could do that. You, <laughs> you Hans could definitely Amadeus. do that. I don't know. Here's the Hansi, but Hansi's always like the short form. Like no one actually calls him Hans Dieter. Like it's Hansi Flick. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah, he's, he's a great dude, and I mean, he's going to steer the national yeah. team in the right direction, which it firmly has not been going in in the last. I call five Pat years. Patsy all the time, so I get it. Yeah, Rachel station. jumped. Rachel jumped onto the the call and I was like, "Oh, Patty, what's up?" And I was like, "Oh boy, Patty, <laughs> never in my life." Patty, never. I don't know. Every, every Patrick I know in my life, I call them Patty. Pat, I do um, have to say, man, like it's crazy. Right now, Mike has more facial hair than you. I do. It's a rare moment. Um, I don't have anything to plug. I'm probably gonna slide into the DMs of Jeff Jacobs from the former Hertford Current, though, to see if he wants to come on the show. Do it. We, we need to find him. He's, he's, Hold on, I'm oh, Googling no, oh, no, Jesse, Jesse, found trust him. me. He's got open DMs. Yo, let's go. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll, I need updates uh, on this. Please I, reach out to Jeff. I will. Uh, I'm not below much. <laughs> there he is. There he is right there. He's got open DMs. I'm gonna so so. How's this sound? Would you like? Wait to, a second. Let's let's appreciate this for a minute. I'm on this man's. We Twitter went from profile. soccer hold on. to hold on, hold on, hold on. This I'm gonna read because this is like this is the he's got a good bio. This is the drippiest bio. Yeah, yeah. That I have ever read. I've been looking Sports, at it for right? half an hour. Sports columnist, <laughs> Hearst Media, Connecticut. Full time job: colon 
dangling participles. Part-time job, surviving heart attacks. This man is flexing, dude. He's talking about participles and heart attacks. Like he's just the king of both. All right, so so would power you, stance would, too in his avatar. We're getting him on the show. Would you de- would you <laughs> deem it fair to deem him a legend? For that article, yes. all right. That so thing, I'm, yeah, I'm listen gonna... to me. Listen to me. That thing was. Why are we in, having this discussion on that? That thing was written in 1994. Incredible. We will still be talking about it in 2024, 30 years later. Like right, he so, wrote an article that has transcended time. Is going to somehow be employed? So, so, so I'm going to slide in, tell him he's a legend, and ask him to come on the podcast to chat about Peter McGuire. Does that sound good? Reference the specific article. I want to talk. Tell him you want to talk a about legend. the article. For your we would like to discuss the particular from article from the specifically from which I am sure from you are familiar. Um, May, May tw- yeah, there you go. So this okay. is what happens when Jesse goes away for a couple of months and has to become a dad, and I'm put in All charge right. of hosting, and this show just goes completely so, off the damn rails. So we, we slid in hard. We'll are you in there? We'll see what Dude, Whose account did you do it from? From my own. Okay, good. Yeah. A little more clout. I'll, yeah. I'll fall on this sword if, if it goes bad. Yeah. All right, well... <laughs> You just lean on me. We'll tag me in if you need it. <laughs> All right. Well, th- this has been a this lot of fun. This is quickly approaching a Peter Svoboda esque situation. We need to be very yes, careful. Yes. <laughs> we can't have this. We can't have that happen on Dying Alive. We By can't the way, that- uh, July fourth this year, I believe will be twelve years. Twelve years since Peter. Can you believe that? Jesus, Jesus Christ! Twelve years since the infamous Peter Svoboda call. You time have re- time is reached circle. the Sprint PCVS voicemail box of Peter Svoboda. <laughs> show some, res- show Rachel, some respect. Story? Do you know that story? Okay, we, we can tell it later. We, yeah, everybody's we like, we're, we we're running out way out of time. We'll, we'll do here. another episode with the with the whole. We'll have Adam on and he'll he'll tell it. Yeah, all right. That'll be a summer episode. Enjoy. Well, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Rachel, thanks again for coming back. This was a ton of fun, as always. Mike, thank you for your DM slides. And Jesse, keep the dad strength up, man. We're loving it. We'll do. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you soon.